Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. As our uh, instrumentalists and vocalists make their way to their seats, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 28. Psalm 28. And as you're turning there, I, I want to say that last song that we sang, there's an image in that song that is relatively new for our church, um, relatively new song overall, but there's an image at the close of that song that just captivates my attention, and it's the buried body of Jesus beginning to breathe. Because if, if that hadn't happened, then we have no point in being here today, right? So all the, all the hope and all the, the prophecy about Jesus and who He would be and what He would accomplish hang on this question of will He really rise from the dead? Will He really conquer the grave? And until that moment when the buried body of Christ is animated by the Holy Spirit of God, everything hangs in the balance. And because God kept His promise to us through His Son and gave Him breath and life and victory over the grave, we have hope today. We have abundant hope today. We have life everlasting. We have no guilt in life and no fear in death because Jesus won. And we need to be reminded of that in our present day. Jesus conquered the grave. We're going to be with Him forever. No matter what happens today, what happens tomorrow, Jesus won. And for that reason, I'm encouraged and excited to be able to share with you what God has been writing on my heart from Psalm 28 this morning in a a sermon that I'm going to call A Prayer of a Righteous Sufferer. A prayer of a righteous sufferer. As we continue in the Psalms, it's, it's another Psalm of David that we're considering, which means that it is written by David, and as I've argued previously, it captures the voice of the ultimate Davidic king, King Jesus. And, and I want you to know that as a, as a pastor, I find deep encouragement from the Davidic Psalms. In many of his Psalms, There are difficulties surrounding him while he's striving to honor God while leading God's people. It's impossible to read the Psalms that David writes and conclude that he has an easy life. Yes, he's the king. Yes, he's royalty. But his reality is often challenging. He is the steward of God's plans in a world of problems and wickedness. And he is beset by enemies all around, and yet he keeps striving to please God. We see his faith in the way that he fights against enemies, in the way that he fights against unjust attacks, in the way that he rebuffs 
people who are one way on the outside, but then another way in their hearts. And the parallels for Christian leadership and, and just following Christ in general should be clear to us, right? Life this side of eternity is not a cakewalk. And yet we follow the Lord and face our enemies by faith. So in Psalm 28, we're going to see a number of the themes that we've already covered. Facing danger and looking to the Lord for protection. These themes are presented to us again. And in this case, David seems to be at risk of dying. And he prays that in his death, if he should die, that he would not be judged with the wicked and that God's people somehow would be saved through the faithfulness of their king. So let's consider in Psalm 28 this prayer of a righteous sufferer. Would you hear with me the word of God? Of David, to you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me. Lest, if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary, do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because... They do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of His hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for He's heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to Him. The Lord is the strength of His people. He is the saving refuge of His anointed Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Let's bow together. God, thank you for David's faithfulness. Thank you that he wrote down, God, what he was thinking. God, what he was experiencing. And Lord, that he, he gives us a model of how we can pray, and He gives us a, a prophecy of what Jesus has accomplished, Lord. Facing the ultimate enemies and, and doing so without caving into sin and arising on the third day to say, blessed be the Lord, my shield and my strength. And God, because of Christ, we can be delivered as well. We can live in this fashion. I pray you would help us to, to see that, to discern that this morning. And that it would all be into the glory of Christ. And it's in His name that we pray it. Amen. There's three truths I want you to see in Psalm 28. Psalm 28 is about those who suffer for the sake of righteousness. It's about those who suffer for doing what is good, what is right. And what we learn in Psalm 28 is that when we suffer for the sake of righteousness, when we suffer for doing what is good, even when it's not popular, there's three ways that we can respond to that adversity. First, we must humbly call upon the Lord for help. We see that in verses 1 and 2. We must humbly call upon the Lord for help. In verse 1, David begins by calling out to the Lord personally. He says, to you, O Lord, I call. Not to it, not to the thing that's out there, not to the man upstairs, 
to you, Lord. He has a personal relationship with the Lord Himself and calls upon Him. This is the language of prayer. God, I'm calling upon you. Sometimes I'm convinced that we as Christians complicate prayer and that we feel intimidated by prayer. Man, i, I got to come up with this great language in order to beseech the holy God. I, what am I going to say to God? And I, I so appreciate that David, yes, he's got some beautiful psalms, but how does he start this psalm? Hey God, I'm talking to you. Did you know, if David can start like that, you can start like that. If you're, in, if you're in trouble and you're a season of adversity, you don't know where to turn or where to look, God, I'm calling out to you. And I just want to encourage you with that simple truth this morning, church. You don't have to be impressive in your language to pray to God. God sees the heart. David just says, God, here it is. He's proactive. I've got a problem, and I'm calling out to you. I'm facing death, possibly at the hands of the wicked, and so I'm calling out to you. He's proactive. He's also honest about his situation. He asked God not to be deaf or silent to him. Aren't you encouraged to know that even David sometimes felt like God couldn't hear him and that God wasn't speaking to him? Hey, Lord, I need to hear you. Now, Isaiah 59.1 says, the, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor, his, nor is his ear dull that it cannot hear. But sometimes, in a wicked world, in a world full of problems, in a world that's broken by sin and death and disease, sometimes it feels like God doesn't hear us. And we know that if you continue reading in Isaiah 59, that sometimes the reason it feels that way is because we have sin in our lives. It's not that God can't hear, but there's, a, there's sin that's hindering us from experiencing that dynamic relationship with the Lord. But there's other times, you're just putting your life on the line for the Lord and His purposes, and it seems like nobody's listening, nobody cares, nobody's paying attention, and the world is winning. And in those moments, when it seems that God is distant, that He's silent, the only thing that will satisfy is hearing from the Lord. Notice what David doesn't pray. He doesn't say, God, I, I pray that all the wicked people would stop being wicked and that they would start paying attention to what I'm trying to accomplish for you. That's not what he prays. Now, I'm sure he wanted that, right? I'm sure he wanted the people who were opposing his progress as king in the kingdom to get on board and to understand this is the will of the Lord. I'm following God. But instead, he says, God, if I could just hear you, if I could just know that I'm in your will, if I could just know that I'm vitally connected to you and I could hear from you, then I can stand anything. I just need your presence, Lord. David wants to know that his life is lived for the Lord and it is not in vain. And if the Lord won't hear his prayer, and if David can't hear his voice, then he has no assurance that, that he won't face the same fate of the wicked who are opposing him. Do you see that? Those who go down to the pit. The pit, in verse 1, is the, it refers to the deepest part of Sheol, the place of the dead. It's, it's something like a, a container, a dungeon for the worst of the wicked. In Isaiah 24, we read in verse 22 about God's coming judgment upon the wicked. In verse 22, it says, They'll be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They'll be shut up in a prison, and after many days, they will be punished. And David says, look, God, I don't want to go there. I want to be in your will, hearing your voice. So in a season when God seems silent, what does David do? He prays. He takes the initiative. 
He prays with honesty. God, this is how I feel. I feel like you're not hearing me. And he prays with humility and passion. I love the passion of verse 2. This is not a a take it or leave it prayer. This is not a, hey God, it'd be nice to hear from you if I could kind of prayer. It is, God, hear my cries. Do you see that in verse 2? He is pleading He's crying out for mercy or for favor, and he's shouting out for God's help. He is pleading. He's pouring his heart into this prayer. He lifts his hands to the Lord. The lifting of the hands can be in praise, or it can be in desperation. He's he's here putting his hands up toward the heaven, and as he does it, it's like he's lifting his soul and his heart to the presence of God, saying, God, I present myself as one who can only be assured by your presence and only be delivered through your help. You, God, are my rock. I'm not looking anywhere else for help. It is to your most holy sanctuary, the innermost place of your temple, where your presence dwells, Lord, is where I lift my hands. It's you that I'm serving. It's you that I'm living for. And it is the assurance of your voice and presence that I need. As we think about how we would apply this cry of David to our lives and to the church today, I I can't help but think of the persecuted church around the world. I can't help but think of people serving in places where it's illegal to name the name of Jesus, where being baptized for your faith can lead to you being murdered by your family. What the persecuted church in the world needs is they need what we see in verses 1 and 2. They need to be reminded that they can cry out to the Lord with passion. They need to be reminded that they can lift their hearts to God and God will meet them there when the world is crumbling around them. They may die for faithfulness to the Lord, but the Lord will not forsake them. They will not go the way of the wicked. Like David, they can say, don't let the end of us be like the end of those who hate us. Let us hear you in the struggle and vindicate our, us in our faithfulness, O God. As I read Psalm 28, 1 and 2, I, I can't help but think of the persecuted church and beg God that, that they would hear His voice and that they would remain faithful no matter what they face for magnifying the name of Jesus this day. Secondly, We must renounce the ways of the wicked and regard the works of the Lord. In a world that is against Christ, that is anti-Christ, what is our temptation? Our temptation is to just go the way of the world. To just adopt the ways of the wicked, but David refuses. In a righteous struggle, he will not give in to the deceptive tactics of of the wicked. We know this because he begs God specifically not to punish him with the punishment that the evil people deserve. He asks God, God, don't drag me off with the wicked in judgment. I don't want to be among the goats when when it's time to sort out the sheep and goats. I don't want to be with the goats who are taken away. I want to be those who were gathered with my Savior. As followers of Christ, we are empowered to live like David, to face injustice and unrighteousness and wickedness without giving in and just adopting their tactics. David can ask not to be judged with the wicked because he has recognized and rejected their ways. He calls them workers of evil. As as king, David has encountered people with an agenda other than God's agenda. Have you ever 
encountered someone like that? They speak peace on the outside, but in their heart, there's something different that is there. They smile at you, but on the inside, they will cut you up or stab you in the back. They say one thing in the hallway and another thing in the parking lot. They speak peace. They speak of the well-being of the kingdom. They act like they're for David, but actually they have evil in their hearts. And they work against peace. And they work against unity. Did you know that Jesus came to bring peace to His people? He came to bring peace between us and God and between us and one another. And rather than working for peace, they work against it. They sow discord and division and suspicion. And like Titus 3.9 says, they create foolish controversies that are unprofitable and worthless. And why do they do these things? They do these things to distract God's people from what ultimately matters and to steal the glory and the momentum that belong to Jesus Christ the King. Their presence in the, among the people of God is toxic because they prevent the sort of intimacy that God desires between Himself and believers and between believers and Himself. What they say in person is betrayed by the pots that they stir behind David's back. Wilson says this, God expects our attitudes and desires and commitment to reflect consistency with our outwardly observable actions. But David is surrounded by duplicitous people. Two-faced. Y'all here this morning? Satan doesn't like what we're about here. He doesn't want a unified, Christ-honoring, gospel-centered, spirit-indwelled family of God that is united like crazy in making Jesus magnified and known in the Roanoke Valley and around the world. He has no interest in that happening. And He will allow us to embrace any kind of justification that sounds reasonable to us to avoid what God wants to do through North Roanoke Baptist Church in this moment. The challenge presented by evil workers striving to upend the righteous work to which God has called us is a work that's still going on. The Scriptures warn us about this in our own hearts. This tendency To make church about us rather than about Jesus. They warn us of wolves in sheep's clothing. They warn us about being one way on the outside, looking like everything's good, but on the inside, not longing for the glory of Christ, but the glory of self. And I I submit to you in this moment, as we eventually emerge from COVID, and this next spike goes down just like it has in India and in England, and we're able to return and resume life as closer to normal, we have some great opportunities ahead of us, church. We have some great opportunities to to make a historic and unprecedented impact in our valley through this church. And the question for us is, do we want to do it? Do we want to magnify Jesus, or do we want to be all about ourselves? Are, Are we living 
so assuredly for the glory of Christ that we could say with David, Lord, I know that I'm not associated with the ways of the wicked, so you go ahead and judge that mess. I mean, David is strong here. Do you see what David says? He's like, judge those people, God. And when I ask you that question and I ask myself that question, I'm asking us to evaluate the motives of our heart To really take a long look at our heart. Am I like the workers of evil? Am I one way in public and another way in my heart? Am I open to gossip? Am I ready to sow and pass along discord and to be a listening ear for a misdirected complaint? Am I part of the problem or am I part of the solution? In Proverbs 26, we read about such duplicitous people. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and he harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, don't believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. There's one day that hearts will be exposed. There's one day when Christ returns and he gathers and there's a great judgment that hearts will be revealed. And David says he has faced wicked obstacles to his pursuit of God's purposes, and now he's going to die, but the wicked still seem to be working, the wicked still seem to be winning, and so after asking God not to judge him with the wicked in verse 3, what does he say in verse 4? God, you judge them. This is called an imprecatory prayer. Y'all ever heard of that one? An imprecatory prayer is a prayer for God to judge or bring calamity upon one's enemies and upon the enemies of God. You say, well, I thought I wanted God to save my enemies. I'm I'm supposed to love my enemies. You are, right? Christ has come, and we know that the way that the wicked are conquered, there's two options for the wicked to be conquered. They can either be conquered by Christ now and made new, They can be given new spiritual DNA, or if they'll refuse the gospel, then one day they will face the judgment of God. David knows that God sees through the wicked heart. He knows that their gossiping tongues and self-important minds will be judged by God. And as David is facing the weight of serving the Lord as king of his people, he has learned to discern the hearts of others. He has learned to recognize evil and to hate it as God does. Did you know that God hates evil? Did you know that He is so holy and so glorious that the Bible even tells us that He hates the wicked? Now, now that's not popular, but it's biblical. We saw it in Psalm chapter 5, right? For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate evil all evildoers. In other words, apart from Christ, apart from saving faith in Jesus, apart from turning from your sin and casting all your cares upon Him, you are under the wrath of God. You are abiding in wrath. And the only way to know the love of God is to receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ who bore the wrath of God on the cross for you so that your sins could be forgiven. To know the love of God, we must be made new in Christ. Otherwise, we remain wicked and under His wrath. And what does Paul pray? He says, God, give them what their wickedness deserves. Do you see that? And what what does our wickedness deserve? The witness of Scripture is that the wages of sin, Romans 6.23, is what? Death. 
And we should praise God that He is just and that He will judge. While this present world is filled with injustices and while it is filled with lies, there is not one injustice that will not receive its just reward from an infinitely holy and all-wise God. This is true for those that we would point out and we would say, well, he's definitely wicked. Take Hitler, for example. Hitler's going to face justice in the presence of God. But it's also true for those who hide their wickedness and conceal it behind false motives and false pretenses. Jesus says in Matthew 27, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Is your heart vested in the work of the Lord? In verse 5, David shows us that he asked the Lord to judge these workers of iniquity, these workers of evil, not only because of their evil deeds, but also, do you see it in verse 5, because they did not regard the works of the Lord or the work of His hands. This is, this is the word handiwork. It reminds us of Psalm 19.1. Do you remember Psalm 19.1? The heavens declare the glory of God. The story of God's creation shows us how mighty and how glorious God is that He created it all. But the wicked don't have regard for their Creator. They might talk about their Creator, but in their heart they disregard Him. They act like He's not really holy. He's not really omnipotent. He's not really omniscient. He doesn't really see what I do. And so they disregard the Maker of heavens and earth. The wicked workers have no regard for the Lord. And the witness of Scripture is clear. We've all worked wickedness, haven't we, church? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all done things deserving of death, but the hope of the Gospel is that we don't have to be judged by our wicked works. We can instead be judged by the righteous work of Christ on our behalf. You can either be judged for what you've done, or you can be judged by what Christ has done for you. So this morning, if your heart is not vested in the gospel, if your heart is not vested in the work of Christ, if you've been around the church but not really plowing for the church and longing for the glory of Christ to be made manifest in your life through His church, then maybe today is the day to stop being judged by what you've done wrong and start being judged by the grace of God in Christ who did everything right so that if you would cast your cares upon Him and turn from your sin, that you could be forgiven of your wicked ways and judged not by what you've done, but by the gracious work of Christ on your behalf. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. The church is filled today with people who look like they've got it put together on the outside, but when Jesus comes, it's going to be shown that they were like the people at the Tower of Babel. They were not building a tower for the fame of Jesus. They were building a tower for their own name rather than for the name above every other name. And when Jesus returns, it's going to be too late to get that right. So I've got to ask you today, in a world of wickedness, whose team are you on? 
Because when the Lord returns, look at the end of verse 5. When he returns, he will be like a warrior king, encountering a rebel city that refuses to surrender to his power and his majesty, and he will give them justice. Do you see what it says? He will tear them down and rebuild them no more. We have one opportunity to get this right. And if you don't know that you know that you're living for the glory of King Jesus, let's get it right today. As David faces death, he wants to know two things. First, that he won't be lumped in with the wicked. And second, that his toil against the wicked for the glory of God has not been in vain. Eventually, the wicked will be toppled. And David will stand with his Lord. So when we suffer for the sake of righteousness, first, we call out to the Lord And say, God, I need to hear from you because right now I'm assaulted on every side. But if I know that I'm serving you, I can go the distance for you. And then secondly, we renounce the ways of the wicked. We say, God, I'm not giving in to living my life in a way that I know that you're going to judge. I'm going to be faithful to you even though it may cost me my life. And thirdly, we learn in verses 6 through 9. When we're persecuted for the sake of righteousness, we must stand. We must live in the saving strength of the Lord's anointed King. In verse 6, David moves from pleading to praising. Some commentators say something happened between verses 5 and 6. He's crying out, God, judge them. Don't let me be judged with them. And then in verse 6, what does he say? Blessed be the Lord. God's done something. We, we don't know what has happened in David's life to, to turn his life around, to give him such confidence, but it seems as though the Lord, his rock, has heard his prayer, that he has he heard the pleas of God for favor, that the Lord has answered and proven once more that he is David's strength, verse 7, that he's David's shield in a world of evil workers who want to exploit his weaknesses. God has protected him. Through the trial, the Lord was with David as David trusted him and his heart had trusted him and keeps on trusting him is the sense of the words there. In entrusting himself to the Lord, the the Lord helped David and the Lord's deliverance leads David to delight. Did you know that God's deliverance of your life should lead you to delight in Jesus? He says, God, I've trusted you, and you've shown up, and so I exult. Do you see that? My heart exults. It it rejoices. Literally, it it jumps for joy. Did you know it's okay to get excited when we sing to the Lord? I just thought I'd toss that in there for Paul and Jesse's sake. It's okay to clap. It's okay to wiggle. David danced before the Lord, right? Right? David has been delivered, and now he's delighting in the Lord. And at this point, you might, you might ask, well, well, that's great for David, but, but what about me? I, I still live in a wicked world. I, I still live when I, when I try to do what is right in, in the world, and when I try to honor my king, I feel like I'm surrounded by enemies, sometimes within, sometimes without. Well, that's a great question. Let's, let's keep reading. And, and I'm, I'm going to get a little technical in verse 8. And I apologize for that, but there's nothing, I don't know what, what to do other than to get technical because it's a, it's a technical point. So y'all going to hang on for a minute? All right, in verse 8, in the translation that we read, and most of the translations that you have, it says, 
The Lord is the strength of His people. Is, is that what you read? Now what's interesting is most of the early Hebrew manuscripts don't say the Lord is the strength of His people, but instead it says the Lord is the strength of Him. Well, who's the Him? Read the next line. The Lord is the strength of His anointed. Well, who's ultimately the anointed of the Lord? It's Jesus, right? Now, at the time, King David is the Lord's anointed. He's been anointed king. Now, we know that King David isn't the ultimate Davidic king that comes to rescue God's people. That's the one that David is looking for. So, a lot of people change this to say the Lord is the strength of His people versus the Lord is the strength of Him because they think that David's just talking about the Jewish people generally. But I submit to you that as we've seen in psalm after psalm after psalm, that David knows full well that he's looking for a victorious, conquering, anointed king. He's looking for one particular anointed of God. He's looking for Him. His trust and his confidence is not in the Lord generically, but in the Lord who will provide a son. And this Son will come and He will be a substitute for God's people. Yes, the Lord is the strength of His people, but how does He strengthen His people? He does it through His victorious Son. There's no strength from the Lord apart from saving faith in Him. And what did He do? He came and He lived the life that we should have lived and didn't, and He died the death that we deserve to die and now do not have to. And how did He do it? He did it in the Lord's strength. He did it by calling upon His Father in Gethsemane. He did it as He carried His cross up to Golgotha's hill. He did it as He stretched out His hands on the cross. He kept His focus on the Lord. And if you read back through Psalm 28, can you not see Jesus all over this psalm? In verses 1 and 2, God, I'm, I'm honoring you. I'm pleasing you. I'm living for you. I want to hear your voice because in a world of wickedness, I feel like I'm under attack. I feel like I'm under assault. Did Jesus face assault? Did he face unjust threats? Did he face the flogging of the crowds and of the Romans? Yes, he did. And he cried out to God and he said, God, I don't want to face the, the plight of the wicked. I'm bearing the sin of the world, but I don't want to be judged as though I'm wicked because I'm innocent. I'm not guilty. Is there anyone else who can truly say that other than Jesus? No, there's not. God, God don't send me. Lord, don't send me to the pit. Yes, I'm going to go to the place of the dead as we professed in the Apostles' Creed, and I'm going to tell them that I've won the victory, but don't consign me to hell. Don't abandon me to Sheol. Don't leave me there. And then in verse 6, can you not hear the voice of Jesus when His buried body began to breathe? Don't you think that when he was, His body that had been lifeless was animated, that likely one of the first words on His lips were, Blessed be the name of the Lord. I have trusted you, and you have delivered me. And so what is Jesus going to do? He's going to delight. He's going to dance. He's going to exult because the Lord His Father has delivered Him. And because of what Jesus has accomplished through His life and death and resurrection, we can be strengthened in Him. This is why Paul says salvation is in Christ. It is through Christ. And not only can we be strengthened by Him, do you see what David prays in verse 9? This is good stuff. Are y'all happy to be here this morning? I mean, this is great stuff. The king is showing us what is going to happen through the 
king. And look at verse 9. He prays that God, the Lord, would be the shepherd of his people and that he would carry them. Is this not Jesus? Is it not Jesus who stepped out of eternity, though He is very God of God, He stepped out of the glory of heaven and He entered into time and space so that He could be our good shepherd who carries us every step of the way so that when we call upon the name of the Lord, we know that we serve a Lord who is not distant or absent from our weakness, that He knows our every trial and temptation, He knows what it's like to be tested, and He has the very power that we need in the moment of testing and trial to endure. Why? Because He's already come and walked in our place and done it for us. And the Spirit of God applies what Jesus did in His earthly ministry to our heart as we cry out to the Lord and we have a good shepherd. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd who lays down His life for His sheep. And in laying down His life for you, He gives you a access through the Holy Spirit to a power to live as He lived in the world. He is your shepherd. He will carry you. And it's interesting that He says, God, I want you to be a God who carries your people. Because in Isaiah 46, we read about all the idols of the surrounding nations. And guess what the surrounding nations have to do with their gods? Their idols, they have to carry them around. The plant God. I'm going to worship you today. Help me out. And the prophet Isaiah says, look at the nations. They're carrying around their own gods. Their gods can't go anywhere. They can't move. They can't hear. They can't deliver. They can't save. They can't do anything. But Jesus is God in the flesh who has walked down the path that you are now walking. And He has carried the cross in your place. And He has borne your sins so that you can be delivered. Because He is Yahweh in the flesh who will carry you if you will call upon Him. God's people find a saving shepherd who will carry them through every storm when they turn from their wicked ways and trust in the righteous Messiah. He is the Lord's anointed. Find your strength in Him. Let's pray together. God in heaven, what a Savior. What a deliverer. And God, the reality is we all face the temptation when storms and trials come to just give up, throw in the towel, act just like the wicked, get wrapped up in gossip and things that, that are contrary to your will and contrary to your mission in the world. And, and Lord, we thank you that Jesus died so that we could be set free from that. We thank you that in Christ there's a power to rise above that way of living, to confess our sin, to turn to you, and to live for the glory of Christ. And God, I pray for our church family, Lord, that you would give us a, a holy righteous passion to love one another and to love Jesus no matter what would the world would cause us to be separated God to know that the blood of Jesus that binds us is stronger than any of that and that he is worthy of our living for him and God if there's anyone here today that does not know that they know that they know Christ God today would be the day God we pray that today would be the day that the spirit would draw them to saving faith in Christ 
And we ask it for the glory of our King. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.